Hello, you're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Hello and thank you for joining us again on the ministry of Let the Bible Speak. We are very grateful to your listeners for joining in week by week. And as I often say, it is our prayer that the Word of God and the things we consider here will be of great benefit in your spiritual life. We are now in the midweeks of October. Uh, certainly we feel the effects of fall all around us. Uh, the trees are changing colour, the leaves are on the ground, and the temperatures are, are definitely dropping. You know, towards the end of October, of course, so many would like to give consideration to, to Halloween. Halloween, of course, has really nothing to do with the Christian gospel. In Halloween, there is a celebration of death and darkness, but the gospel comes, Christ comes, and brings the words of life and light. And so as a, a Christian body, we certainly would not want to mark or to celebrate Halloween. And yet there are things that we can think about at this time of the year. The end of October, indeed the 31st of October, marks the day in which Martin Luther, the great reformer, nailed the 95 Theses to the church door. And so we do rejoice in God's work in providence. 500 plus years ago now, we rejoice in God's working and bringing the gospel again to light. And so this week and next week, I want to really take some time aside from our regular studies to consider God's working in history. And today I want to think about a, a man that was of tremendous influence, not only in his homeland, but also an influence that stretched across to these United States. I was watching the ceremonies surrounding the death and the funeral of Queen Elizabeth, and part of those ceremonies was the moving of her body to the St Giles Church in Edinburgh. Now, the procession made its way up the Royal Mile in Edinburgh, and as they did so, they passed the house of an individual. This man's influence stretched far. He was a man of great courage and conviction, and his imprint is seen across the nations. You see, it is, it is good to remember our history. History, of course, is God's story, God working in this world, and it's important that we remember that we stand upon the shoulders of giants. We are not the first to believe the gospel. We're not the first to read the Bible or to worship the true and living God. We follow in the footsteps of others. And the history of the United States is greatly influenced by Ulster Scots. You think of the terms like the rednecks and the hillbillies in the south. These are terms that are associated with the Ulster Scots. You think particularly of the Presbyterians who came into various parts of the nations, and those Presbyterians had influences upon the founding fathers of this nation. Now, to understand the Ulster Scots and the Ulster Presbyterians, you have to understand the person of John Knox. And of course, it is his house that I'm referring to that sits on the Royal Mile in Edinburgh, a house that you can still go into and see what is now a museum 
to and commemorating the life of John Knox. Knox was born somewhere in the region of 1513 or 1515, uh, some uncertainty there, uh, just over 500 years ago in a place called Harrington in East Lothian. He was the son of a merchant or, again, perhaps a craftsman of some description. He was likely educated in Harrington Grammar School before moving on to St Andrews University. St Andrews is one of the most wonderful places in all uh, the world, and you see uh, so much of the history of the of the world in that in that small town. Of course, best known for the golf course and the Royal and Ancient. But yet, as you look around that town, you will see the imprint of God's working in human history. If you happen to be walking down the street and near one of the university buildings, and you look down, uh, you will see letters upon the cobblestones. The letters P and H. And they mark the place outside the university where Patrick Hamilton was burned at the stake for his allegiance to Christ in 1528, likely just a few years before Knox entered the university. It seems very likely, therefore, that Knox being educated in St Andrews would have been exposed to the teaching of Martin Luther, the teachings of the Protestant Reformation. It is hard to, again, be clear and dogmatic regarding his early history, but it may well have been the case that he was ordained to the Roman Catholic priesthood as early as 1536, and he served for a time as a legal notary in the East Lothian area of Scotland. Of note is an annotation in the notarised document dating back to March 1543, which simply says, A faithful witness to Christ to whom be the glory. And so it may well be that even before reaching his 30th year, he had come to know Christ as his Lord and Saviour. And so as we think about John Knox, let me begin by telling you that he was indeed a Protestant. Now, I'm using that term not to describe his ethnic culture or origin, but to describe what he came to believe. In the original and the correct setting, To be a Protestant was to describe someone who believed Reformation truth. Now remember, please, that John Knox was, at a time, a Roman Catholic priest. And so to call him a Protestant is to say that he came to the conviction that salvation was by grace alone, in Christ alone, through faith alone. By grace are ye saved, through faith That's the language of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2. And it is vital when you think about the Protestant truth that you keep the word alone in mind. Knox was opposed to the administration of grace in the Roman Catholic sacraments. He was opposed to the concept that you were saved by Christ or by grace plus works plus sacraments plus anything else. Now, like John Calvin, Knox says very little about his own religious conversion. In one place, he says, It pleased God to call me from the puddle of papistry. And indeed, on his deathbed, he asked his wife to read to him from John 17, where he said, I first cast my anchor. And it may well be that it was through the prayer of Christ in John 17 that John Knox came to know and love the Saviour. What an anchor it is. Of course, Christ is our anchor, Hebrews chapter 6, the hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. 
Christ is alone or hope. One account of Knox's ministry in a place in France called Dieppe speaks of how he made abjuration of the errors of the Roman Church and profession of the truth of the gospel. John Knox was a saved man. Through the scriptures he came to see that salvation was by Christ alone. It comes freely by the grace of God and it is received by faith alone. That truth is unchanging and it will never change. The only hope for sinners, the only hope for you today is to come to faith in Christ Jesus. Christ must be yours by faith. It's not yours by birth or by behavior. It's not yours because of some uh, heritage. It's certainly not yours because of some church attendance. Salvation is only found in Christ alone and it's received as a free gift. Received by faith alone. Knox came to understand that and he came to preach that and he came to make that known to all with whom he had contact with. Now it's worth noting, uh, secondly, that as a Protestant he was certainly persecuted for his faith. So much of the history and the lives of these men revolves around who was king or queen at certain times in their lives. Knox really enters the stage of history with a double sword in his hand. We know that he acted even as a bodyguard to George Wishart. Now, if you are near the Martyrs Monument in St Andrews, you will see the letters, not this time PH, but GW in the cobbles. Wishart was a pioneer of the Scottish Reformation, and after a ministry of only three years was martyred in 1546, and Knox had become a close associate of Wishart, and it seemed that as Wishart's life was closing, Knox saw that he, like Elisha of old, must take up the mantle of his Elijah Wishart. And so he stood against Rome. Of him it was said, others sned. That's an old Scottish term for lopping off. Others sned the branches of the papistry, but he strikes at the root also to destroy the whole Oh, in 1547, uh, the city came under French siege and Knox and others were captured and he spent the next 18 months as a galley slave. He was then released into England where he became a chaplain of the young Protestant king, Edward VI. Edward died in 1553 and bloody Mary Tudor was enthroned and of course Knox is famous for his uh, conflict with this Bloody Mary. Of course, her na- nickname gives indication of her hatred for the Protestants, and Knox was forced to flee to Europe, there going to Calvin, John Calvin's Geneva. He gives us a simple reminder that in the days between Christ's two comings, the church will suffer persecution. Indeed, as Paul said, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Christ, in this famous Sermon on the Mount, spoke of the blessedness of those who were persecuted for righteousness' sake. Oh, it's important that if we've come to love the Saviour, that we count the cost of being truly faithful. We are living in days when we may not be burned at the stake for our faith, but there is still, and there will be increasingly, a cost to bear for being faithful to Christ Jesus. John Knox suffered as he was prepared to stand for Christ against error. Now we 
though he may tend to hold the truth but not oppose error. But to be faithful to Christ Jesus, we must oppose error as we hold on to the truth. So just as we consider this man Knox, I am not putting a man before your attention as one that we should worship, but rather a man that we should admire. But admire, admire not for his own character, but admire for the grace of God in his life. And if you've come to trust in Christ and stand for Christ, well, thank the Lord today for his grace in your life. You're only a sinner saved by grace. John Knox would have made that point very clearly. I'm only a sinner saved by grace. But the grace of God that saves us is a grace that God is the grace that strengthens us to serve him. And so rest upon God's grace today. Well, this Protestant man who was persecuted was also in the third place a man of passion. Knox is often portrayed in the liberal schools of thought as some sort of tyrant. In reality, he was very conscious of his own weakness. His own conviction regarding what he saw accomplished was this. God gave his Holy Spirit to simple men in great abundance. And when God's Spirit comes upon men, he makes them men of zeal and passion. And I point this out not to exalt a man like Knox, but to urge you to pray for such a spirit in our day. For as Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Knox's passion and zeal gave him fervency in prayer. One of the most famous quotations that comes from Knox is a prayer that he had for Scotland. And he would say, give me Scotland, else I die. He wanted the land to be marked by men who loved and served Christ. We could certainly pray that prayer for this nation in our day. That God would be pleased to raise up men with a zeal. A zeal to serve the Lord. A zeal to love and serve Christ and not this fallen world. And so this passionate man, this man of zeal, was fervent in prayer. He was also fearless in practice. It is said of him when he was laid in the grave that the Earl of Morton said regarding Knox, There lies one who in his life never feared the face of man, who hath been often threatened with dag and dagger, but hath ended his days in peace and honour. Oh, John Knox, he had qualities, zeal and vigour and passion that makes him less pleasant to our generation, but made him the very man to stand in the face of opposition. It's certainly a prayer in my heart that God would give us men who would not fear man, men who would fear God more than man, men who would follow Christ no matter the cost. You see, it is the fear of man that brings a snare and I wonder, perhaps I'm speaking to someone today, and you you know there's a right course of action to take. You know what you must do in a situation, but you fear the consequence, you fear man, and because you fear man, you will not serve God. Oh, the fear of man brings a snare, and may God give you liberty uh, to serve him today and to glorify him, even as John Knox did. So this Protestant man, he was certainly a man of passion, he suffered persecution, 
But fourthly, he was a preacher. When John Knox surveyed the Church of Scotland in 1560, there were in the whole of Scotland twelve faithful ministers. Seven years later, under Knox's influence, there were 250 ministers, 150 exhorters, and 450 lay readers. Knox saw the preaching of the word as the key to sweeping Scotland with the gospel of Christ and his grace. He understood the importance of biblical-centred, fervent preaching. Perhaps Knox can be summed up by that well-known phrase, I love to blow my master's trumpet. Knox knew that the Roman Catholic Church had hidden the word of God from the people, and the Scottish Reformation was birthed in the conviction that the word of God would change the people and the nation. In a book of discipline, Knox wrote this, In great towns we think expedient, that every day there be either sermon or else common prayers with some exercise of reading the scriptures. We're living in a day and a generation when the word of God is absolutely neglected in the world. There is no consideration for biblical preaching. There's no consideration for the reading of the word of God. We see a generation who are being raised around us and they are totally ignorant of the truth of the gospel. They're ignorant regarding the revelation of God. They're ignorant regarding the nature of law and sin and hope that's found in Christ alone. And the only thing that will change that is for God to raise up faithful messengers. Please pray for this. Please pray for God to raise a band of men who will open up the scriptures. We have many, many churches in this nation. But there are many who are neglecting the preaching of the word. There are places where people gather as religious societies, but again, there, there is no wholehearted dependence upon the word of God. So please, pray for such. But one last thing that's of interest regarding John Knox, and this again relates to history, and it relates to the legacy of Knox in our day. He was a Presbyterian. You see, what I've said about Knox to this point could have been said of really any of the reformers. But Knox has a particular legacy in that Knox was looked upon as the father of Presbyterianism. And it is the thought of Presbyterianism that has had an impact, yes, upon the churches of this nation, but also indeed upon our governmental structures. The idea of elders representing churches the idea of local churches having some degree of independence, but also being under a, a federal authority, if you like, a, a central authority, a presbytery. These things, again, go back to the time of John Knox. You see, Presbyterian government speaks of eldership rule. And Knox's exposure to this form of government goes back to a time of persecution at the hands of Mary Tudor. For as I said, he escaped to Europe and he came to Geneva where he found what was said to be the most perfect school of Christ since the days of the apostles. One man has said that the Scots did not invent Presbyterianism, they just perfected it. 
And after the death of Bloody Mary, Elizabeth I came to the throne in England and Scotland, and Knox then returned to Scotland. These events sparked rebellion in Scotland, and by 1560 the Scottish Parliament had put an end to papal authority. They had removed the Mass, and they adopted the Scottish Confession and the First Book of Discipline. Knox was very influential in this book, was known as one of the Six Johns, who were involved in writing the First Book of Discipline. This book governed the newly formed Scottish Kirk. That word is the Scottish word for church, and the Kirk Presbytery first met in Magdalene Chapel in Edinburgh in 1560. That church building is still in Edinburgh, and you can visit it even up to this day. But the Scottish Kirk was Presbyterian, and still is to this day. Uh, although it's been very corrupted, and there have been many secessions necessary, it is still Presbyterian in government, unlike the Church of England. Let me just leave you with three features of what it is to be Presbyterian. Well, there is the issue of headship. It's often neglected in such a, a topic. But in this form of church government, there is the explicit acknowledgement that Christ alone is the head of the church, not the Pope and not the King. There's a man called Andrew Melville who refined Knox's church polity and he expresses Knox's mind when speaking to King James I. He says this, There is Christ Jesus, the King of the church, whose subject James VI is, and of whose kingdom he is not a king, nor a lord, nor a head, but a member. We will yield to you your place and give you all due obedience. But again I say, uh, this is Melville speaking to the king, he said to the king, you are not the head of the church. And you will appreciate again, even from that arises some degree of understanding of the separation of church and state. The church, again, having the role, they have the, the, they have the, the book, they have the law of God, they have the gospel, and the state is the one that yields the sword. But Christ alone is the head of the church, one head. Even as Ephesians chapter 5 says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And as head of the church, we believe that in our churches it is Christ's commands and Christ's words which must be heard. The opening words of the first book of discipline say this, Seeing that Christ Jesus is he whom God the Father has commanded only to be heard and followed of his sheep, we urge it necessary that his evangel be truly and openly preached in every kirk and assembly of this realm. You see, to be part of Christ's church requires submission to his headship. Another feature of this form of government is the matter of eldership. That Christ, the shepherd king, has appointed under shepherds elders to care for the church. In Acts chapter 20, in verse number 17, it refers to Paul calling for the elders from Ephesus. And he reminds them that they are to take heed unto themselves and to all the flock, over the which the Holy Ghost hath made them overseers, to feed the church of God, which is purchased with his own blood. And so in the New Testament, the Bible teaches not one bishop over many churches, but many elders, many overseers, many bishops over one church. And Knox acknowledged that elders were to be elected and chosen by the people. 
There were those who would rule, there were those who would teach, they would do so in plurality, and there would be this form of care. You see, it is for the good of your soul that you're part of a biblical church, that you're part of a place whereby there are elders who will care for your soul, who will watch for your soul, who will guard you against error and lead and guide you into truth. And so when you think of the legacy of John Knox, it's a reminder to us again of the importance of a local New Testament church. And so there are these features of Presbyterian government, people under Christ as head, but yet also submissive to the church leadership, and thereby members of the body and serving each other in that body. Again, Knox acknowledged that those who are part of the body of Christ were there to serve in that body, not simply to receive, but also to give. And so it was, again, understandable that in this form of church government, there was discipline and there was correction. But that was to help the members, to help the people serve Christ faithfully and not fall into the corruption of the world or the corruption of false teaching. And so as we again approach the end of October, it is my simple desire today to ask you to look back to a time in history, a time when God was at work, a man who again is much maligned and misunderstood, but a man raised of God, a man of his times, but a man who was used to greatly influence not only Scotland, but also many nations of the world. And so give thanks to God for his grace. But beyond that, please, please ask yourself the question, do you know the Christ that John Knox knew? Have you come to the personal relationship with the Saviour, acknowledging Christ to be your head and your king? Have you turned from sin? Have you repented of your rebellion against God? And have you ran to God for mercy, the mercy that's found in Christ and in Christ alone? God loved this world. He sent his Son into the world to give his life a ransom for many, that all who call upon him could be saved from all of their sins and know peace with God and cleansing of conscience. I commend Knox's Christ to you today. Seek the Saviour. Seek the Saviour and live. May God bless this message to your hearts today. For Christ's sake. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.